1: Welcome to Intelligence Squared, I'm Connor Boyle. Coming up on the podcast, we hear from the writers and publishers of a new book celebrating fiction written by women authors in Afghanistan. Our host is the investigative journalist and journalism professor Halima Kazem. Her work has been largely focused on Afghanistan, feminism and human rights. She's produced stories for outlets ranging from CNN to NPR. Here's Halima with more.
0: Afghan women's voices are at risk of being silenced, and as more of their rights slip away, so do their stories. My pen is the wing of a bird. It will tell you those thoughts we are not allowed to think, those dreams we are not allowed to dream. These are the words of Batul Haidari, an Afghan woman and author from Untold, a writer development program for marginalized writers in areas of conflict and post-conflict. In March 2022, Untold published the first anthology of short fiction by Afghan women, titled after Haideri's quote, My Pen is the Wing of a Bird. It brings together 18 unique voices, translated from Pashto and Dari, telling stories of family, work, childhood, war, gender identity, and cultural traditions. Today, I'm joined by three women who have been deeply involved in the creation of this book. Lucy Hanna, founder of Untold, Zarguna Kargar, author of Dear Zari, Hidden Stories from Women of Afghanistan, journalist and translator, and Marie Bamyani, contributing author, featured in My Pen is the Wing of a Bird. Zarguna, Lucy, and Marie join me now to talk about their work. Welcome to Intelligence Squared. If we could start, Lucy, in each of you, tell me a bit more about your work, in your background, in your writing, and how you got involved in this project.
2: My first introduction to Afghanistan was in about uh, 2006 when I was there for the BBC working on the long-running soap opera *New Home, New Life*. I have a history of working with new writers and developing them and their work. And this was one aspect of of that work. And while there, I then went back several times, back and forth on this project. And in 2017, I was talking to the scriptwriters and we were having a conversation about fiction publishing locally. And the women in particular were talking about how frustrating it was to get their work published, their fiction work published, as opposed to their script writing that was their day job, and that they would either have to pay to get it published, and there was no infrastructure in terms of editing, and there certainly were very few literary translators that would get that work beyond their borders. And so... That sparked the idea, and three of us, myself Sharifa Passoon, who's in the anthology, and Parand, who is a which is a pen name for another of the writers in the anthology, decided to try to start a project that might help to develop local women's voices in terms of their creative writing, support the local infrastructure, and build the capacity of local literary translators and editors, and to encourage. Wider readership of their work in translation. That's how the idea started. Thank you. How
3: about uh, Zarhuna? Thank you for having me. I am originally from Kabul. I was born there, and uh, I um, became a refugee when I was young to Peshawar. And then, uh, over twenty years ago, I came to the UK with my family. And I have since then. I've worked for the BBC in different parts and currently I work for BBC World News TV as a journalist and I also write from time to time uh, specifically about women and because I have an interest and love for the women of my country and uh, when Lucy contacted me about this project she was starting I was very excited and I said yeah I would do whatever help you need so I got involved in Untold with Lucy's suggestion and I started reading most of the stories that the writers had sent in both Dari and Pashto. And I've also translated some of the stories that are published in the anthology from both Dari and Pashto. To see the book published and the stories of women published is just wonderful. Especially at this time, you know, Halima Jan, as you said in your intro, Afghan women are not going through a very bright time at the moment. So it's a very important step, and I think uh, it's a very important book in terms of raising their voice and uh, letting the world know about their stories and about what kind of life they lead. Yes, the current situation makes this work that much more
0: important, that it captures a time where maybe perhaps Afghan women had more openings and possibilities for their writing and today, that is that has changed. That changed after August fifteenth of two thousand and twenty-one. Mari, how did you hear about the book, and can you tell us about how you reached out to Lucy and Zaruna to get your work into the book?
4: Actually, I heard about Untold from my brother. I never expected that my story going to be published because, based on my experience in Afghanistan, published industry is kind of dominated by. Men mostly. So when I heard that my story going to publish, it was the happiest moment. I never thought about that.
3: Mari, thank you. Zarhuna, would you like to add something? I just wanted to add to this point that Mari said about how there is no enough belief in the capability of women in our society. I remember when I was training young women journalists in Kabul, a lot of my male colleagues would comment on the way they wrote. We wanted to make it very simple because it was a program that was broadcast for housewives, for families. So we wanted to make it very simple, but they would criticize it. And also Lucy will remember this. When we were reading the stories, there were some colleagues and friends, Afghan friends, that were with us reading the stories. And whenever they read And some of them, when they liked the story by Afghan female authors, they would say like, oh, she's really talented, it's very good, and I'm surprised, I'm shocked, these words. So I had a little bit of friction with them, like, oh, why are you talking like this? As if you don't know what Afghan women are about. I said, like, I'm not shocked at all. I'm like, I knew this would come. So, like, it's just that belief that I'm sure you understand, Halima Jan, that is in our society, because... Men have always had the upper hand, so when it comes from women, and unfortunately in publishing, it has affected Afghan women in terms of being published in magazines, in books, and things like that. It's always been men who had the upper hand, and this has been a wonderful opportunity for the women of Afghanistan, I think. This will also hopefully help the mentality that is in the country, especially the men's mentality look, these are good, you can't ignore them. I completely agree with both of you that in Afghan culture, writing
0: is revered and respected. And when you are published, you have arrived. And men are given that opportunity. But I wonder if these cultural norms affect their acceptance, and I think it does, of allowing women that space to arrive, to be present, to be recognized. Can these cultural norms be barriers for women writers, especially now when the Taliban are back?
4: Writing in Afghanistan for a woman or for a girl is not easy. You have to fight with your family. You have to fight with your society. You have to fight with a lot of norm and regulation and culture. And then at the end, after fighting with this much people, if you can publish, they won't take it serious. So this is the situation, I think, in Afghanistan. If you are a girl, you have to work harder compared to a man. I'm not against working hard, but I'm talking about being fair. I'm seeing writer in Afghanistan, especially women. They are not just a writer. They are
0: like a fighter. They fight, then they write. Thank you, Mari. Zarguna, you said earlier that you worked on some of the translations. Talk about the challenges of translating such um,
3: complex text into English for the English-speaking audience. When Lucy started this project, one point she usually focused on was like, it's literary translation. I agree that she kept pushing for that and it was a good point because I have done a lot of news translation and document translation and other type of like a verbal translation, but it was my first time doing literary translation. And uh, it was quite challenging. I wanted to make sure that what, for example, Mari writes, I give the same meaning in English, the same tone, the same feeling that are in her writing. So that was more challenging for me. But by reading it again and uh, matching it again and again, it wasn't like you do one translation and it's one draft. For me, it was like reading the whole story once then starting translating, then working on the English because for me it was uh, mostly about I wanted to be uh, very, very fair to the original author. I wanted to get the voice that is in Dari or Pashto version into the English. I remember, for example, when before this anthology, um, some of the author's stories were published in Writer Without the Borders magazine. And the editors were doing their own editing for online magazine. And when they sent it back to me, there were things that didn't make big difference. But I felt that I'm losing the tone. And they agreed with us, whatever we said, they agreed and they appreciated. But it was about that, about keeping the tone, keeping the voice of the author, keeping the feelings that she wants to express. Lucy, you started this project, from my understanding,
0: before the fall of the Afghan government uh, on August 15, 2021. Has this anthology's meaning changed for
2: you? Has it
0: become even more since
2: then? Yeah, we started in 2019. We had four translators, Zari was the lead translator, and as you can see, um, many writers. And just to pick up on the, the last point, we actually made sure that, that on all our calls, because all this was done remotely for more than two and a half years, we had an editor, a writer and a translator on each call so that unusually the model was that the translator was witness to the editing process to help them to remain true to the writer's voice. So, yes, we were We were carrying along on a sort of quite a conventional creative writer development process where editors and writers are exchanging ideas uh, along with a translator and overnight we went from a sort of creative programme to a very different programme where the work that had been published for Words Without Borders as Zari mentioned and in a few other places in those two years had to be removed immediately offline for security reasons and we had a it was a strange split, because we wanted to honour the publisher's request, which had been an arrangement that we would deliver a full manuscript for an anthology by September 2021, which had been agreed six months or so before. Yet we were suddenly thrust into a position where our contributors were understandably more concerned about their safety and what was going to happen than carrying on finishing their piece. But what was remarkable was that the group, far from wanting to stop, wanted even more than ever to carry on and to make sure that these stories reached this publication. This was going to happen anyway. It was important for this to happen anyway, regardless of of what, of what the events of August. And it's even more important that we continue this work now. Interestingly, which I'm sure we'll come on to, but the stories in it, even though they were written, some of them were written during the last period of the Taliban. They take on, a, on an interesting resonance, almost knowingly, given what happened in August. For example, the, the first story, Companion, where a mother is talking to her children in America who have left her behind. And we're seeing that, as you know, very well all the time at the moment in various different forms. That was Nudia's story.
0: And uh, that stayed with me, that story and her waiting and waiting to hear, beautifully written. Um, Mari, Lucy mentions that you were still in Afghanistan when this book was in process and up until a few months ago. Can you talk about the moment where things changed in Afghanistan for you? Uh,
4: So when I heard that Taliban took Kabul, I was in an area in Kabul called Sharina, and I was thinking that if they caught me on there, for sure they will shoot me with a gun. Because the way I was dressed on that day, it was against the rule of Taliban.
1: Intelligence Squared is a tight-knit team doing big things, and it means we're always looking for tools that can help streamline managing tasks. That's why I want to talk to you for a minute about NetSuite. NetSuite provides cloud-based software to get things moving. Maybe your business has been humming, but you can feel things are falling behind a little bit. Or perhaps your team is getting snowed with manual tasks and closing those books is taking forever. If this sounds like you, you should know these three numbers, 37,000, 25, 1. 37,000, that's the number of businesses which have upgraded to NetSuite by Oracle. 25, NetSuite turns 25 this year. Right now, you can download NetSuite's popular KPI checklist, designed to give you consistently excellent performance, absolutely free, at netsuite.com squared. That's netsuite.com squared to get your own KPI checklist. netsuite.com squared.
0: Zarguna, this is not the first book for you. I have read and enjoyed your first book, Dear Zari, Hidden Stories from Women of Afghanistan. Uh, this is storytelling is for with women in Afghanistan is not new for you. Why is literature such an important
3: medium of expression? As you know, Halima Jan, we have a rich history of women storytellers, uh, women um, reciting poems who don't get registered in their name. Like in Pashto, we have Landais and in Farsi as well, in Dari, we have the same. So it's a culture that I have grown up with. I remember my aunt telling us stories in long winter nights when I was a kid. And I really believed it. I really loved it, the way she was telling me stories of monsters, sometimes stories of a man in her village. So I really feel that this kind of work by Afghan women is strengthening that culture we have. Unfortunately, the way we are portrayed in media is either Taliban women in burqa and Afghan women dying of childbirth or malnutrition. I just think that it's so important for the international audience or for people outside Afghanistan to know that Afghan women is not only about that. There's so much so much more to Afghan women in our culture, in their talent, in their potential. And this book and these stories are just a small example of the potential that lies among Afghan women, young and old whether they are housewives, whether they are students, whether they are mothers, sisters. It's so colorful and there is so much talent among women that has been missed for many, many years, especially on international level. In Afghanistan also, as Mari said, we have a very very male-dominated society. Men are uh, uh, much more further than women. In many, many aspects of life. I started reading some books by Afghan authors, mostly men, and it was interesting that they were writing about women but it was not the same. As Mari said, men cannot write my feelings or Mari's feelings or Sharifa's feelings that are in these stories. So for me this is a very, very important step to write about them, write their stories, write their feelings and just let the world know what Afghan women are about, what our grandmas have been about, what our daughters are about, what our girls who are now banned from school, some of them, what are they about? And just want to, sh- it's just a very small example of the potential that lies in that country.
0: And I'm drawn to a line that Liz Doucette, who wrote the forward uh, to the book, wrote that literature is resilience, a release. And then from my work, I work on feminist resistance, and I would add to that line that Afghan women's literature is a form of resistance, a resistance to the invisibility of them in the archives, of the perceived, as Jana is saying, invisibility of them in daily life. And I think that these stories really bring that forward. Lucy, what do you think about that? As literature is a form of resistance.
2: They say that, you know, it takes a writer, an activist, and a lawyer to make change in the world. And I, <laughs> I believe that wholeheartedly. And you can never do without the writer. But interestingly, when I talked to someone about putting out an open call in 2019, and the view was, oh, well, you'll probably only get maybe 20 or so submissions. And we got 120. And the second call was put out in 2021, and we got nearly 300. And from women everywhere. And Mariam Majuba, who wrote Companion and Please Turn This Air Conditioner On, Sir, two stories in the book, had never shared her work with anyone. Her sister sent in her story, unbeknown to her, because she knew that Mariam wouldn't let her. <laughs> and also the author of Sandals, Maliha. Meliha Naji, who sent, wrote it handwritten and, and photographed it on WhatsApp. Her brother then sent it to a friend of his and it got to us via WhatsApp handwritten. So the point being that, you know, Zari talks about the untapped talent. Of course, why on earth would you think only 20 submissions would come in? It's an entire country of people, of women who are looking for outlets to express their work creatively, that they have only been doing often behind closed doors. And are not taken seriously as writers. Is
0: Untold still working in Afghanistan despite the conditions? Are you going to continue?
2: We intend to, but obviously in a very different way. In terms of the cultural norms, I think it's, as you know, it's affecting things hugely, obviously. And we're working out at the moment. So eight of the writers that are in the anthology are still in Afghanistan. Ten of those in this Collection have left, but obviously there are others that we were working with that didn't, whose stories didn't make it into the anthology, and they're also still in Afghanistan. What was interesting in terms of during August, this group began, and Marie was will know, about, will was part of this, began to write a diary, an online diary, to keep connected to each other when uh, the Taliban entered Kabul, because they wanted to find a way of not losing that sharing of ideas that we've been doing for so long. And this has kept going since the middle of August, and it's still going today. The good news is that actually there's going to be a children's book made out of the first six weeks of it, published by Scholastic, coming out next year. But I'm hoping the group want to carry on so that we do a year since the fall of Kabul. I think that is going to be the incredibly valuable cultural archive. I'm hoping that that will show how valuable these women's voices are but also that aside we are at the moment uh hoping to carry on and produce another collection because in a way this is just the beginning these are writers who've never even experienced the editorial process and who are very keen to develop much different stories and and experiment with form and and do what many writers have the opportunity to do so we are working in different ways to make that happen is there a danger for some of the
0: women who are still in Afghanistan to continue working with you? What do
2: you all think? You're in touch with them. Yeah, all the time. I mean, Zari will, with the BBC Afghan service will probably know more, but I'm in touch with people every week. Yeah. and And also taking advice. People who know best are the writers themselves. We respond accordingly. We just have to remain very, very flexible and very fleet of foot.
3: At the moment, as you all know, Afghan women are going through a very dark period. Women are being erased from public spare on a daily basis. Women's rights, simple basic rights like going out of your house or travelling without a male companion, is not possible now. They can't travel without a male companion anywhere. Most important, teenage girls are not allowed to go to school. They have put a clear ban on it. We have to think what consequences this brings to the work and to the life of Afghan women, say this generation. For example, for next year, we will not have 12 grade girls graduating, entering university. And this has happened in our history before, during the first control of Taliban in Afghanistan in the 1990s. So, it's going to have a huge impact on women's ability, women's participation in the society, and we have to remember that in the last 20 or over 20 years we worked really, really hard to at least put this idea in men's heads that women should be involved in this project, or women should be involved in the parliament, women should be involved in a discussion on TV or on radio, and this took us almost, I can guarantee this, because I've seen The changes that the Afghan women, it took us 20 years to just spread this idea among families, among men in the country that women need to be present. In everything you do, women should be there. Whether there's ministries, working in offices, working in universities, and that is the most important thing that we are losing at the moment. I'm really angry with the feminists in the West that they are not raising their voice about this The consequences that we dealt with 20 years ago were huge. Women were always behind comparing to men. Sisters were behind comparing to their brothers. And now we are facing that again. And if this is not stopped, I'm afraid the consequences for the women of our country is going to be very, very negative and very, very dark. We need to work hard together, whether it's publishing their stories, whether it's uh, enabling them to send a piece that... can get published in a small magazine, that is a huge help and Afghan women need help at the moment.
0: And I take your point about the loss of a year for girls in school and what the consequences of that is going to be. And I'll tie it to something that I noticed in the stories that I read from your book, is this sense of waiting. There's a lot of waiting that the women do in the stories. They wait. They wait to be told if their child is a boy or a girl. They wait to hear from their families. They wait for moments to pass, such as the bombing in the newsroom. There's a lot of waiting, and that that made me think that Avalon women's sense of time or ownership of time is not their own. And it speaks to their status. And now we are waiting. Every day we are all waiting, like you said, more than 200 days for girls grade seven to 12 to go back to school. I just couldn't help to just think about
3: that, what that means. All I can say is I'm heartbroken by the situation of our women every day. And I'm so, so sad and I'm so, so sorry for all those girls who are sitting at home And I'm so sorry for the cries they did when their school got shut again. They opened for 30 minutes and they banned them again. So at the moment, I'm always trying to be hopeful and not lose hope. But it's so hard to keep hope. And as you said, wait. Waiting has a limit, you know, and we have waited for very long now.
4: When I'm talking with my friends, female friends, they are saying that men are the ones who are going to save the country. Everyone, every society told me that you have to wait for someone to save you. Like you have to wait for a man to save you from a certain location. You have to wait for your father to take your hand, or you have to wait for your brother to support you in school. So we kind of got trained like this. There should be someone to rescue us from that moment. While the fact is that if we see our own ability, if we see our own power, if we believe in ourselves. We can we can save ourselves. We don't need to wait. Like in Afghanistan, that question is like, uh, like this, that everyone is waiting for me to go and fight against Taliban and save the country. But I believe women can also help the men in this certain time. As a writer, I'm saying that by writing, I can help my country.
0: The stories in the book, as heartbreaking as they are, and the sense of precarity that you see in women's lives and the sense of waiting, still gave me hope because it's in the skill of the writing. It's in the skill of the storytelling. It's within the historical practice of what Afghan women do. And so it still left me with a lot of feelings and what stood out was hope. Well, thank you, Zari, Lucy, and Marie. That was Zarguna Kargar, Lucy Hanna, and Mari Bamyani, who were all involved in the creation of My pen is The Wing of a Bird, which is now available from Kirkus. You've been listening to Intelligence Squared. I'm Halima Kazem. Thanks for listening.